another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. And what are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? The words that stay. When single shines the triple sun. Of your sundered and undone shall behold the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Gathering Songs. This is your sort of vital essence, I guess, you know, on all things The Dark Crystal. These shows all about the roundtable discussions from books and comics and much more. I'm your host, Philip Mitchell. Just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode as we continue discussing about Tides of the Dark Crystal. So for any of the new viewers, uh, new listeners, I should say, Tides of the Dark Crystal is the third book as part of author uh, Jane Lee's Dark Crystal young adult novel uh, series of books that first started with Shadows and then Song and with third one being Tides that we're discussing about today and as well as, you know, anticipating waiting for the next books in, in the series Flames of the Dark Crystal. And these books sort of all sort of going to lead up to the events of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance and the new uh, Netflix series, uh, which is all really exciting. So I just, it's a very, very awesome time to be a fan. And on this episode, we're going to chat from chapter six onwards. And with me, I've got two guests today. Uh, I've got uh, Nancy Gray. Nancy, just want to say thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me again. And of course, I have uh, Peter M as well on the show. So, Peter, thanks for joining the journey. Thanks for having me here. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it really is. It's, it, it is so much fun as, as we continue, you know, just discussing all these books. And, you know, it sort of all started, you know, many years ago, going from creation myths and then going through with Shadows and Song. And yeah, it's just, it's just been a blast. So, yeah, it's been great. Without further ado, let's um, get started, I guess. So, so we're, we are up to chapter six and pretty much, you know, in the story, they're pretty much to the point where our sort of the Gelfling heroes, um, they're all heading to um, Serenar to hopefully meet up with Mother Ethri to sort of find out about if she saw the petals sort of saw see a bit of the truth about what's what the skexies have been doing behind um closed doors and i mean like this was sort of like a nice sort of slow sort of slow building sort of chapter anyways because it's sort of like you know it's sort of amory sort of chapter of trying to step up a lot more while he was able to sort of step you know he was able to do all right, you know, with uh, throwing that dust at um, the Chamberlain and sort of escape that sort of thing. But, you know, he hasn't, you know, used a weapon at all, that sort of thing. And I think, you know, Tavra sort of decided to, you know, to train him up just so he can be able to, to use a weapon, I guess, in, in case if he, you know, if he needs to be. Yeah, and it was and it was sort of like a nice, yeah, little moment where, you know, he's, they try and train Amory and um, and Naya's, teaching him and all that kind of stuff and um of course you know things don't go well for Amory you know on his sort of first I guess sort of training experience you know that that sort of ends in that regard and then sort of in that moment he's sort of thinking about this whole dream space and you know what his purpose 
you know, is in all this, um, you know, I think it's sort of described that, you know, he thinks the wall is stupid and doesn't know its importance, even though we know that uh, we, we think that it does have significance. But, you know, to our heroes, it's sort of not the time at the moment. And, and, and one of these things was there was a little passage here saying, you know, why had an augur who heard the song of the world foreseen the Skeksis? If all on Thra was part of the song, then so were the Skeksis, as terrible as they were. So why hadn't Augra prepared the Gelfling, the children of Thra, for such a great betrayal? I actually just want to be curious to hear just your thoughts on, you know, why you think that the Olga sort of, I don't know, like sort of abandoned or like, you know, the struggle that she had to didn't, didn't do to not prepare the Gelfling, you know, in time, that sort of thing. Uh, just be curious to hear yeah, your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they really weren't a part of Thra because they were from another world. So I sometimes wonder if Agra actually didn't know how far-reaching this was going to get. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, like, I mean, because they were originally Urskex and I mean, yeah, they were, I guess, yeah, aliens from, you know, from another world, um, another time <laughs> in, in that respect. And I think that's probably, yeah, a part of that because they were so different that because they're not of Thra that I guess it was sort of hard for Olga to sort of really know their intentions or, you know, to predict things, you know, she, you know, has her Aurene you know, able to sort of predict things when things might happen and all that kind of stuff, except for really the Erskix and the, um, well, the Skeksis, I, I guess, yeah. Even the, um, even the Gartham later on are things that they bring back from their own world. So it's one of those things I get the feeling that Agra couldn't have really known how far-reaching this was going to go and that it meant the doom for all of the Gelfling, probably. Because she could only... I would imagine since she's the avatar of Thra, she only knows what's going on with Thra and um, maybe their importance and things that she could read in the stars because they taught her that. But at the same I think, time... I'm in exact same, same thought, Nancy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's, it's interesting, too, that you have a utopia in a way that is Thra. You know, everything is connected, everything is harmonious. And then you have the Skeksis show up, or should I say the Urskex, and then, you know, they split. But that throws a wrench into everything, and that's a very interesting conflict, because what do you do when Utopia is disrupted? Not destroyed, but disrupted by outside forces. So you could look mm -hmm. at it as an examination of, you know, perfection versus chaos, and what's, you know, the, the conflict that arises from that. So the fact that we don't have an easy fix, oh, well, just ask Agra, is all part of interesting the reader and what's going to happen. Because, you know, if this all-seen sage, uh, who has been, you know, the guiding light of the Gelfling uh, for centuries, can't see what's going on, then who can? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do, it sort of comes back to creation myths a little bit. And I think there was even like uh, probably a line or two that pretty much I oh, sort of said, you know, like when the crystal cracked and everything, and I mean, her and Ronep was, you know, looking, looking for pieces of the shard for, you know, a good while. I mean, they didn't state how many years, but it does seem, seem like a very long time. And I think there was like one, one line or something that, that basically, yeah, when the crystal was broken, like so was Olgra in a way. And, you know, it just really made a big change in her, you know, through the events of that. 
so yeah, I mean, it's just going to be something that's going to be really interesting to see what you know if if Olga you know is in Age of Resistance, you know what her portrayal in the show is going to be like, whether she's re- really more broken than what she was toward you know in the film, or yeah. So that, that's just sort of, sort of the another aspect of you know how what her contribution is going to be or whether she won't be able to help out. Cause she's like, I don't, I don't have the answers. I, I mean, we sort of get a little bit, I guess, you know, the whole prophecy and, you know, tasks ran to find some object or that sort of thing. So I think there's sort of pieces of things that she's able to help out. And she, she already has pretty much said that the Gelfling are the ones who have to figure this out, that have to make the great prophecy to begin with. So it might have something to do with their connection to her and her connection to Thra, that they have to be the ones to help her with it. But it's just an idea. And at you know, for for at the moment, it's like their task is sort of to light the flames of resistance to get all the clans to to do that. Even though it's sort of a bit vague, I think there was even a line from Naya, which has sort of always had a bit of vagueness of, you know, I have no doubt, you know, we'll be able to bring the truth to them, light the fires of resistance, you know, whatever they are. So, like, even the heroes, like, they they know the words, I guess, you know, for the instruction, but it's like, but what does it mean, fires of resistance? Like, how, yeah, how does it translate, I guess, in, in that regard? They, they need specific action points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I know. It's almost like, yeah, they just need, like, a Lord of the Rings. I might have talked about this, you know, light the beacons sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so so pretty much they they in this chapter they sort of they finally land on serena uh amory he he actually hears a very low voice sound coming like sort of near the boat i, I sort of had an inkling that it might be like a, a mystic just you know the low you know singing voice that they tend to do so that'd be interesting of course with that i thought it was a few things um it- foreshadowing obviously but we'll get to that yes uh but i thought it could be another creature that had been altered by the crystal i thought oh here we go here's another one the deep sea is yeah as it turns out no yeah it's pretty cool just you know having those little hints here and there and yeah and they they pretty much yeah you know arrive at saradar i think that's pretty much the end of uh with chapter six and as we sort of, you know, move on to, um, I mean, I actually did like, um, yeah, at the end of chapter six, sort of, you know, which I sort of description of, um, you know, towards the end where he's like, you know, Emery Grass was a, came along the main headland and Winston had to shield his eyes from one vessel then rested in the arms of the bay and sort of describing the ship, you know, the masts were thorny spires growing out of a coral body like trees and bloused with flowering anemone sails and really enjoy his writing as always and just some of the descriptions that we get is um yeah yeah very well, that very sense nice, of yeah. wonder is there yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah interesting idea of a living coral type ship i thought that was really neat mm. yeah absolutely yeah uh i guess yeah i mean we're, we're up to chapter seven and um the the heroes they all arrive at the port of um Serena, and I think you know. We, I mean, in in this chapter, we sort of get a bit bit of descriptions with um, the Sifa clan. They, I, I think, it was mentioned that Sifa do have red hair like Onikar, though you know sometimes it was streaked or dyed in black and blue and tur- turquoise. 
I mean, actually, Nancy, I actually like to hear sort of your take because I know you you wrote a story as part of the uh, you were the finalist for the Dark Crystal um, author quest. Actually, I was I'm more curious about what was your take sort of on the CFA and how they might have deferred uh, compared to to Joe's sort of take on the CFA clan. One of the note, the things that I thought was interesting he did that I didn't was um, it sounds almost like the homes themselves are able to be sailed, like on rafts or things of that nature. It sounds like they don't have a, it doesn't sound like they have actual structures on land, which in in my story, I had them having dome structures on land because domes tend to um, weather storms a little bit better. Um, but I mean, if, it's an interesting thought that if they don't actually have a, if their structures can be moved, like, you know, on rafts or something, Technically, they would probably weather a storm just like a boat would, you know, being untethered and just kind of drifting on the waves and not actually getting destroyed that way. I mean, it's an or being tethered and, you know, being able to weather it that way. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I kind of had it being like a melting pot of people, too. And he did that with, you know. A lot of them were of mixed clans, you know, and I thought that that was kind of interesting because that that was one of my takes on it too. That it he did have them have a particular like most of them had red hair. In my story, you know, they did have um, some that had turquoise and things like that that looked a little more like the sea. A lot of them had eye color that was, uh, you know, in blues or silvers or things like that, but. Um, it's very, uh, it's very interesting, and I had them, you know, having uh, char- charms that were special to them that they carved, and the charms actually had powers. Um, and he actually mentioned that in one of his other books, just as a shout out to me, which was very nice of him. Um, but uh, I had them have a special charm carver who would do it, and. Um, Basically, they all had different things usually associated with the sea that um, had to do with them. So that was sort of their, they were kind of superstitious, a little bit um, reading omens, importance according to like birds and things like that. And he he actually does do a lot of that. He has them um, all, I like the way he has them all looking almost like, pirates i would imagine just the way they've got the jewelry and the big coats and things like that and i really uh thought that was cool because um it's it just gives it a good flavor i think <laughs> i had some minor thoughts on that too um uh in the work that i did for my story um i had them be of the sea um whereas the sifa here we see are on the sea so the important distinction on that is they're not, you know, not even aquatic. Uh, they don't, uh, you know, swim, uh, get all their food, everything from the sea. They're kind of on the sea and they live with it, but they're not, you know, bonded to it. Uh, like the drenching are bonded to their environment. Mm-hmm. So that that's a very interesting distinction because that indicates that these Gelfling, and we see it later, uh, don't travel the world by the sea. The sea is usually the, the highway of exploration, but mm-hmm. you don't see that in the story, and that's important for plot uh, later in the books. Yeah, he mentioned how they didn't um, actually 
know what was beyond you know it exactly beyond their shore which i thought was kind of odd i i mean i'm sure it comes up later i i i'm trying not to read ahead because i'm like <laughs> i'm liking you know stopping well, on I, a cliffhanger but i probably totally ought to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to after the last chapter but like no yeah. I'll, I'll try to wait but yeah. you know that was one of the things in my story was I had them off, uh, one of them going off and trying to discover and map out islands that they could potentially settle. But it since their, since their city was owned the shore, it wasn't that important to a lot of them, you know? Yeah, and it's, that's part of, this, part of the story. Mm-hmm. But this particular character thought it would be important to do. But we always have to bear in mind where this is going. And it's when I say it's part of the story, it's part of what we know comes after. So the idea that, you know, if it was done the other way, well, there could be gelfling all over the place. They just hopped in their boats and sailed away from the Skeksis and they couldn't do a thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, this this is where GM Lee has to work within the constraints of the future that we know. Yeah. To make the movie happen. So these things that he's doing are setting that up. Oh, well, that's why they couldn't do this. And, oh, I see why they made that choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting about, um, yeah, there was a mention about them. Yeah, I think we're, tr you know, struggling to sail out or, or something like that. It did did ring a bell. So, yeah, it's it just going to be really interesting, yeah, just how it all sort of ends for the Gelfling, you know, whether some are able to, able to escape on the boats, whether they find some, some way to, to get through the waters to you know, like a certain path that they have to go through. And mm -hmm. I'm really eager to see it. Yeah. 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 So they arrive at Serenar and I think they, they meet up with the captain of the um, Amira, Captain Staya, uh, who's a cipher, a cipher with drenching in the family tree. And I guess this was another sort of example of very, how multi multicultural in a way that the clans are, but this particular clan is, I, I kind of get a feeling that all the other clans are sort of there, sort of their own thing and sort of Serenar is a bit more open um, in, in that regard. So I thought mm -hmm. that was, that was, you know, very nice. Oh, very cool. Just to see, you know, the differences with each uh, clans, mm -hmm. um, you know, within, within the world of the dark crystal, as was mentioned, sort of the little paragraph is like, that is the beauty of Serenar and the Sefer and Sefer tradition. We're, we're bound together, not by blood, but by the confines of the earth, uh, we are bound together by heart and by changing by the changing wind. If the prophecies and signs mm -hmm. says one must become Sifa, one does. We accept that. Um, and that's something that Annika says. I think sort of explains that um, very well. And I, I, I have to admit, like every time I keep seeing Captain like Staya, I keep thinking Captain Straya, which is you know sort of the slang term for for Australia. Uh, Australia. So it's like every time when oh, I oh really yeah. So every time when <laughs> I read it, so every time I read, it, I'm just like wait, like I always keep thinking it's Straya, like as, as a as a reference. But it's like no, it's Staya. So yeah, it's, it's always a, a funny little moment. Yeah, like when I'm. Every time he says something, I'm like, it's stay out, stay out in my head. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, so moving on, like they, they enter the, the ship and Annika sees Tay, you know, they seem to be close friends, know each other and pretty much they end up going to see Modra, um, Ethri and, and, and yeah, meet up with the Modra of, um, Serena. Of course, Modra sort of asks, you know, Naya, you know, what, what brings all these, you know, all these gelflings like, you know, with Naya and Amri and Kylan to come over and, 
and they asks about you know if she has seen the pink petals and seen the visions through dream stitching and uh she mentions that she has seen them and and they sort of asks if you know she'll join with all grand thra to light the flames of resistance and you know they, they try their best you know they sort of you know say well man the all mordra believes in them um but etheries just seems really unconvinced um that she does and i think you know it sort of brings a question about you know why would you know why would etheries sort of you know want to light the flames of yeah, just, I mean, I guess Ethereus is really suspicious because sort of like she's sort of th- probably thinking about why would she light the flames when Mayan's been very supportive of the Skeksis for some time and then, you know, all of a sudden sort of to change her mind. And yeah, I mean, at the end, sort of Ethereus sort of declines to help their cause and um, which, you know, which just sort of, sort of didn't all work because I guess it was the whole thing of, of the journey is to see um, Mordra Ethereus to sort of convince her. See, I find this very human. Yeah. Yeah, this this is, you know, well, we sent out the message, everybody should see the truth. All we have to go around is get their names on a list and we're good, right? But yeah. <laughs> no, this is not the case. Every every plan is different, individuals are, you know, not all aligned. So mm-hmm. we don't have, you know, a, a a clean line between, oh, well, the Skeksis versus all the Gelfling. Great. Okay, we're good. Everybody's seen the dream. Let's go get them. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> and it doesn't make I- it easy. I get the feeling Ethery kind of feels like she has to be um, a bit curt with them and um, showing her authority also because she's not much older than they are. And that's mentioned in the conversation how it's like, oh, well, you know, she's not even much older than we are. And to be acting this way, you know, even though she's the Madra, She's a young Madra, and she probably feels that, you know, she she asks, you know, what, me, join you? Why am I joining you? What am I joining, you know? I'm going to do what's the best for my clan, and that's that, pretty much. Yeah, and I get, yeah, and I guess, you know, it's like things don't happen overnight sort of thing. Like, it's got to take time. Yeah, I guess, you know, they, they just heard the news very recently, so I think, you know, it's probably been, you know, have to take their time to sort of you know really dissect everything that sort of you know that they heard from the pink petals and whether of all these stories and yeah mm-hmm. you have to be the pilot light of resistance it'll eventually turn into flame yeah <laughs> and so yeah so so all the gelflings sort of leave and um Annika feels that something's about something odd with air three so pretty much the others sort of leave to head towards serenar to the beach and uh, Arte, I think, and Anika returns to her ship. And this is sort of the part where sort of Tavra decides to, to go away for a bit, being a spider that she's able to sort of sneak around to find out, you know, who Ethri's guest is. That was sort of mentioned early on in the chapter that she had someone who is meeting with and, and all that. And, and this is sort of when, yeah, like Tavra sort of comes up with, you know, <laughs> probably a crazy idea of, you know, trying to force, basically trying to force uh, Mordra um, Ethri or Mother Ethri to join with them by morning to fight against the Skeksis. And it's like, well, don't know how, but we're going to try and figure out some, some way, one way or another. So then she leaves to begin her investigation and, and pretty much everyone, Naya, Kylan and Amri, you know, they all go to the beach to find some answers. Well, you know, maybe find some answers and perhaps some, yeah, as I wrote in my notes, and perhaps some trouble, as Nay would say, who were warned about Tavra not to cause trouble. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I'm fascinated by the fact that we just kind of let the guests thing drop there. My immediate thought was, how the heck did the Chamberlain get there? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, yeah. It is him, yeah. I think it, it has to be. I mean, they didn't mention anything about it. Oh, I've got to rush off again. You know, the the madra of the clan is. Oh no, I've got a very important guest. I have to go. Well, <laughs> everybody knows that this guest is not is going to be a Skeksis. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a spoiler here. We're about to get no. to it. We all know no. it's going to be a Skeksis, and they even hint around at it. And the the sound of the uh, the rough throaty laughter that he hears as he's leaving the ship. I'm like, yeah, there is not. If it had been if it had been a mystic or something, then there would be not the gruff throaty laughter and the just, right. you know, and the the well, sense for, of urgency. For all readers, this this is a podcast of rolling spoilers. So. Yeah, it, well, yeah, I mean, it, it comes up in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. That's why I felt it was okay to just go ahead and say Oh, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, yeah, with, with these roundtable shows, you know, I'm presuming that most people probably have, you know, read the book in its entirety. Um, so, you know, yeah like spoilers like for the whole thing um but just you know being able to chat about you know certain chapters and certain moments within the story um is very you know that i really very much enjoy doing yeah yeah Mm. but yeah it yeah i'm sort of surprised that the gelfling just from that one thing and the way she's being urgent and stuff didn't think that it might have been but i mean you know, they, they they just got there. They've gotten kind of a rude reception from the Madra, and it's one of those things that it probably didn't occur to them that's what could be happening. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And um, I guess, you know, we're up... They're yeah. tired, hungry. Yeah, no, <laughs> as they sort of are, like, in, in Chapter 8, that Naya sort of leaves to try and find some food and mentions some meat by the fire uh, that's sort of at the beach... And uh, I mean, what I liked about um, this this chapter is sort of the, the songs that we sort of get in, in these books. And so we got this song about um, Gaia from, who is a character in creation myths. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, just got a little passage about, yeah, just about that, Ky- you know, Amory asked Kylan if he can sing a song about Gaia um, or Gree uh, about uh, about the three, about the three sisters and how they're all crying. Um, so so he sings the song with sort of everyone cheers and everything. And of course you can read all that in, uh, in Tides of the Dark Crystal. I, 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 I must admit, I was sort of tempted to sort of, oh, maybe I might sing this little passage, but I'm like, oh, it's a bit long. And also it's like, I don't have the voice right now. So, <laughs> but, I, but I mean, I, I do love, you know, just all the, the songs contributed with Tides of the Dark Crystal and, it's just something I'm really looking forward to with Age of Resistance, where we're going to get some songs within the show. So that's something like I'm really can't wait to, um, if they, if we're able to, to make it happen or whatnot. Yeah. And so pretty much, yeah, everyone cheers, you know, because it was quite a lot of people at the beach. And then we see Tay, she sort of arrives at the beach unexpectedly and that, you know, she seemed to be hurt or something in pain. Just mentions that Tay is cold and, and then the captain appears, not not Steyer, um, some other captain, probably from another boat. Or, and yeah, he just starts questioning 
like Naya, Naya and Kylan. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing here? Get away from her. And, and Naya's like, you know, she's a healer and someone, some person, some gelfling thinks that, you know, tastes poison and other one says, oh, what about her ear- earrings? They're missing. And yeah, this captain's sort of convinced of them being thieves. And, <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, we're here during when Kylan was singing the song and, you know, all these other gelflings were there, but, um, you know, sort of no one sort of stood up to them in that regard. And I think after, um, you know, hearing the commotion, sort of Mordra Ethri intervenes, you know, what's going on here and whatnot. And, um, and, uh, then we find out that that captain's name is, uh, Captain Madso as, you know, Ethri just sort of tells him to put his blade away. And then, um, oh, then at the same time, you know, sort of Tavra actually appears as well. So pretty much everyone sort of appears, <laughs> um, towards the end of the chapter. And, um, and she actually reveals that, that Ethri's guest is Skeksis. And of course, you know, now he's speculating that Tay has been drained, you know, but, you know, like, you know, draining her vital essence or the Valala, but trying to work out, you know, but how could she be if she hasn't been drained at the castle, of the crystal. And then, so towards the end, we sort of, um, get introduced to, um, a new Skeksis, uh, Skeksa. So I thought that was you know, really interesting at the time, even though it's like, you know, sitting at the front cover that it was, uh, you know, cause each book we sort of had a new sort of Skeksis within each story. So, so I think book one was Skekmal the hunter. And then book two was Skekli, uh, the satratist. And this one is, uh, Skeksa, uh, the marina. I suspected just from the cover that that was who it was going yeah. to be because <laughs> yeah. I, I suspected it was going to be a Skeksis. And then I was like, yeah, from the cover, it's probably the, the Mariner, but you know, <laughs> something I didn't expect though, was the fact that it was female. Yeah. I, I yeah, I've heard. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was sort of like a very surprising thing. I think that was sort of became a bit of a topic of discussion, um, in the dark crystal, groups and pages and all that about now that we have you know uh, that Skeksa is a female Skeksis yeah I think I think it's, it's really interesting and I think it's pretty cool to sort of incorporate because I know like in the film you know we sort of they, because they're all just presume you know that they, they're all male I guess because of the voices and all that kind of stuff I think it's sort of a really nice uh it's just things to change it up a bit and um like I'm actually pretty cool that um you know they they have uh, female Skeksis. I don't know. What 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 you thought about that when you... Um... The thing that puzzled me about it is I never really thought that they had a gender, per se. I, Being the Urskeks and everything, I just... I didn't think they were necessarily asexual, but I, they just didn't strike me as having a particular gender. And it could be that this one identifies as female and carries herself that way. But it's just, I mean, we, we, we can be fairly certain that they, well, we can't be certain of that. I mean, I didn't no. expect that they could reproduce sexually like a, you know, normal animal. They just didn't strike me as that type of creature. And since they are divided, they probably couldn't anyway. But it's just, <laughs> it opens up a lot of 
very disturbing questions. You know? <laughs> that's that's actually why I love this character. I think this is a brilliant choice uh, in terms of both the gender and in the attitude that Skeksa has towards their place, her place in the pantheon of Skeksis. You know, I, I don't want anything to do with them. It's, it's great. <laughs> I really want her to be a good character, but I highly suspect she's not. But it's one of those things where, like, I do. I love her attitude, too, the way she um, carries herself and just the way she's very confident and very... Um, she has that, that whole feeling of being a captain and... Um, all this knowledge of medicine and it's almost like she has this maternal feeling over the Sifa clan, almost like they're her babies because it's like she, she calls the Madra her little, her little gelfling, you know, of course I'm going to help my little gelfling, you know? Well, you know, I'm not going to denigrate by a comparison here to say that I was immediately, almost immediately comparing to Han Solo out of Star Wars, you know, the confidence <laughs> independent mm -hmm. outsider doing their own thing because that's what they do and mm -hmm. you know i i think that aspects of skaksa definitely call out to that type of character that trope of you know the confident rogue in a way and who better mm -hmm. to be a learner <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and um no i really like her character um as well so um yeah very you know swashbuckling kind of character and um yeah i mean it sort of is at this time that you sort of don't know you know what side she's going to be you know um but like i mean she mentions like you know she she, she does seem a bit rogue in this point of the story because she sort of says that she left the castle the crystal hundreds of trine before you were born uh, talking to naya and that she was disgusted with the way skexo chose to rule and um, spent the last 70 trine, 70 years alone on the silver sea as far as from the land as I can sail, only returning to Serenab to give my little ones with the treasures I found abroad. And, and I think this was something that um, uh, fan of the show Ethan Erskar mentioned that there was, in, in Shadows of the Dark Crystal, there was actually a little passage of um, when Tavra was in the Castle of the Crystal and... Um, and mentioned that, you know, she never expected to be standing before the 16 Skeksis Lords so soon after stepping foot within the Castle of the Crystal. And that was in Chapter 22 of um, Shadows of the Dark Crystal. I think I found that interesting whether because all the Skeksis were there, even though Ske Skeksar sort of said, well, you know, I've been out in the water, you know, I haven't been there for 70 odd years and whatnot or 100 years, that sort of thing. So I was curious about whether that was just like a little continuity mistake sort of thing that sort of changed, you know, for, for the story or if there was something more to it. It's really hard to say because that's the thing. I, I want to believe that this character is what she seems to be, but I can't because I just can't see her actually being 100% on the up and up because she could just be lying about that yep. because it's convenient. Yeah, and, and also I guess the other thing is um, I would have thought that, that Tavra would have been able to identify her as I remember seeing her, she was one of the Skeksis that I met in you know from the story in Shadows of the Dark Crystal 
so it was just, yeah, it was just another little thing. And I think I actually remember um, asking uh, Joe, because uh, I, I, of course I chatted to him on the show about Tides of the Dark Crystal and, um, you know, going through some of the things that I want to ask him. And one of them was about that. It was like, ah, you know, sort of can't explain about the Skeksis numbers and how that all works or whatnot. So yeah, just be interesting to see what happens with that. And so... You know, I mean, this is a part where, you know, back in the story with, you know, Skeksa mentions that, yeah, with Tay, you know, seem like that she's slowly dying and whatnot. Um, or Naya thinks that, you know, she was drained. Uh, but Skeksa mentions that it can't be draining because, you know, you could you could see the milk. Uh, you would see the milk of death if she was draining. So I kind of like that little, sort of that anecdote, you know, with the dark crystal or how it, I think it was sort of described as sort of, yeah, the milk of death, you know when we saw the podlings getting drained of their essence. And I think, you know, in the making of the, of that scene is I think they pretty much injected a lot of milk, you know, with, in the eyes to sort of have that look. So, uh, I thought that was kind of a neat little anecdote, you know, for that. So, yeah. So now she, I mean, she uses her Velila, uh, always, it's always hard. Veliyaya. I have a question though. Didn't they say that the Skeksis couldn't um, couldn't u- use the se- uh, understand the dream etching on the petals? I believe that's the case. Yes. So the fact that she knows about that contraption, which is relatively a new invention, and the milk of death on their eyes that causes it, also leads you to be a little bit suspicious. Well, they I think that in this chapter the previous one they mention one of the main characters mentions well we have no idea how the skeksis communicate with each other yeah i mean i guess they could uh yeah they might be telepathic or something like that and maybe he told them about it but But she could have spies i mean crystal crystal bats yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and so that was yeah i guess that's all really interesting yeah like so saying, well, it can't be draining and how that could be. And, and, um, but then she finds, but then Naya sort of realizes that it's, that it's drenched in nectar wine or like she smells within, within, um, Tay. It, it sort of, I think it was mentioned that it comes from fermented salt flower nectar used in recipes for healing and, and merriment. And so, yeah, only someone with a taste of salt flower would, would have the effort to make it by hand and, of course, I think as we heard early on, that Captain Saya, who is a seafar but drenched by family tree, that suspicions sort of well, particularly with, particularly with Ethri, goes to Captain Saya and uh, demands you know Saya to be tracked down and bring him to her and and all that. And this was the thing. So so the seafar people ended up getting Saya and demands he tells the truth, and he does it initially. Of course, you know they had a drink together and she left. But he does later confess that he put sort of um, Zandi, which is sort of like a truth dust, in a nectar wine. And the reason he did that was to sort of get, find out what Ethri's plan is. And I think what, what was interesting about it is uh, I, I was sort of thinking at the time, it's like, well, why, you know, he probably could have used, you know, dream fasting on her. So I thought that was sort of like an interesting sort of different way of trying to find the truth. And in that regard, yeah. Well, you know, you can hide things in a dream fast. If it's something that she doesn't want to share with him, even if they're close, she wouldn't share that secret with him. So 
that's probably I would think that would probably be why uh, he wouldn't do that because that would just you know make her suspicious anyway if if he tried to find that out and then she hid it from him yeah because I guess like in with dream fasting yeah you can share you know memories that you want to share I guess you know with Kira Jen in the film I I kind of felt like they were sharing memories that you know because it was probably the first cup, first time or whatnot that they've actually did Dreamfast. Maybe not for Kira, because it seemed like Kira knew sort of a bit what Dreamfasting is about. But yeah, like for her to be able, yeah, for, you know, Galfling to be able to control the Dreamfasting, you know, control the sequence sort of thing in that regard. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I think that probably makes, definitely makes sense of, yeah, why he ended up doing the Zandi, uh, the truth d- dust instead. Yeah, and I think, Pretty much at the end of this chapter, uh, Skeksar uh, takes Tay in her arms and, and they go to to Skeksar's uh, ship to try and heal her up uh, now that they know that there's any ingredients and, and Skeksar sort of knows how they could fix her sickness. Yeah, I sort of loved um, um, sort of at the end where Skeksar grabs a metal pipe and blows a tune and and we see this huge boat that sort of appears and we actually find out it's like this huge monster uh, pretty much is is her ship. So I thought that was kind of cool. I felt that was... Uh, dragon turtles, what I was thinking of from D&D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> and, and I always thought like as a very sort of Pinocchio, where it was like not influenced by Pinocchio, but just sort of the similarities, I guess, you know, you know, with, with the huge whale that swallows up Pinocchio and Geppetto and, you know, all those characters. And so it reminded me a little bit of um, Ocarina of Time, uh, Legend of Zelda. There's um, like a whole dungeon that's like inside this belly of the beast, uh, Jabu Jabu. So I thought that might have been like another sort of influence of, you know, just having this whole ship is actually this big monster. And I think um, it, I think it hints at the fact that um, the Mariner might have kind of a crueler side because the thing is groaning and that's like the only sound it makes is this deep groan which makes me think that it's in pain i mean she's hollowed out passageways inside of its shell and you know is walking around on its insides and she has to be able to control it somehow and which way it goes so there were a lot of questions I had about that that didn't get, all get answered, like how intelligent it is, how she's actually controlling it. And it didn't have the the uh, purple eyes like the crystal-controlled animals, but clearly she's manipulating it somehow to get it to go, you know, to go where she wants to. It didn't seem like a symbiotic relationship to oh, me. No. It's a parasitic <laughs> relationship. <laughs> yeah. So... And- that that exactly what you said, Nancy. Control. This is a, a wonderful comment on how the Skeksis see Thra and everything on it. It's uh, something. Everything else is something they can use, even other Skeksi. And the fact that we have this relatively tiny creature in Skeksa able to control this gargantuan, ocean-going creature says much about what they can do with their knowledge and their powers. And I think that was part of the point that uh, Joe was trying to make, is that, you know, the Skeksis are there to do their thing and nothing is going to stop them. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see just the many ways that the Skeksis um, do, you know, with, with you know, trying to track down the Galflings or how to attack them. 
sort of thing, like before, prior to sort of, you know, having the Gotham, that sort of thing. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting to see how all that sort of goes down. Yeah. Just with that, I was going to say, we don't see it in the film, but if there's a creature like that in the ocean, who's to say the Skeksis don't, you know, find and, you know, subjugate a creature capable of, you know, destroying half a mountain at a shot, you know, just stomping mm. right up and knocking it over. Uh, you never know what's out there with Thra, and if anybody's going to find a bad use for it, it'll be the Skeksis. And if they can't find something that they think is efficient enough, they bring it in from their own world, like with the Gartham. Yes, yes. good point. And so, yeah, I mean, we sort of get up to chapter 10 and, um, you know, they enter inside the beast. And as we see, Skeksar, Nea, Amri, Kylan, Staya and Ethri um, walk into a room and pretty much put Tay on the table. You know, Skeksar sort of asks for Kylan and Staya to leave, you know, just, just to give them all a bit of space. And this sort of thing where, you know, sort of Skeksar just sort of wants to know about uh, the characters and stuff. So... Like, yeah, Naya, Naya tells Skeksa her name. It, it sort of, you know, asked her about, you know, being taught under Mordra Laisid, Naya's mother, and that, you know, Naya's name is well known, and that she actually did heard from Skeksok that Laisid, that she had a twin son and, and a daughter, one of the Castle of the Crystal as a guard, the other healer, and would love to, to meet them. But at this point in time, Skeksa is unaware that Naya is one of the twins, Again, this is sort of another sort of conflicting sort of thing. I think we chatted earlier about, you know, how could she have heard when she's been traveling for 70 years, you know, in, in the waters. Again, I'm sort of curious about when the last time she went to the Castle of Crystal, she just happened to meet Skeksok somewhere during her journeys or whatnot. And, you know, sort of at this point, yeah, I mean, Amory starts to feel too suspicious of Skeksar in general. And, um, and you know, he tries to decide to uh, attempt to strike her and, you know, he feels like he can't be trusted. And of course, a- Amory's like by, you know, she's pretty much by close to him. And, and, you know, Tavra's like, no, 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 no. It's not the right time to do that. And Amory sort of, yeah, I mean, he sort of goes for it. But then Tavra just sort of managed to stop him in time by like striking him many times on the neck, just biting him several times. He ends up, you know, sort of to fail in his attempt. And, um, yeah. I think, um, doesn't she actually take control of him? I got the feeling later on when they talk about it that she actually has some of those powers that the crystal spiders had, but she didn't know exactly how to control them. Because I think that's what ultimately made him stop his blade wasn't, um, that she was biting him and hurting him, but that she actually used that ability as the spider to to stop him okay yeah, yeah i thought it was definitely a spider power mm-hmm. yeah i might actually have to re- reread that chapter yeah I, I i i guess for me i just i just thought it was um just hit just her just you know just biting biting him around the neck several times as a way to sort of you know to lose control sort of thing but that's actually kind of cool like that would be actually kind of cool like if it was sort of, you know, her, well, that and, and as well as, you know, having the spider abilities to take over bodies, as we sort of know from some of the Dark Crystal that that spider kind can do so, as that's what happened with, you know, the spider was controlling, uh, Krychek was controlling the body of uh, Tavra. 
that's something we have to watch for coming up, uh, especially in Age of Resistance. You know, if spider, you know, little crystal spiders are easy to make, why not release thousands of them? Mm-hmm. You know, that that would be horrific to try and defend against. I am. Um, I actually used the PDQ system and played an RPG of the Dark Crystal for my friends, and I had them doing that. <laughs> Releasing all those little spiders to try and control them. This was before these books were written. Um, oh, it was geez. after the the one with when they, where they introduced the concept of the spiders. So, sorry. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there because that's what, what my tactic was. I was like, yeah, why wouldn't they do that? <laughs> oh, it's cheap. It's effective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this was sort of all happening while um, uh, Naya was helping, you know, trying to remove the spores from from tay and that i think the combination of the sog flower and the zandi pollen results in a spore that causes the worst effects of both plants uh, uh dehydration and of unlocking the mind uh to a degree most severe so now is able to heal tay root to remove the spores and and she wakes up you know still weak but alive nonetheless of course and that's uh, sort of towards the end you know skeksa sort of actually sees the spider and grabs the spider and puts in the bottle and um, says to Amory that, you know, going to do, that we'll do something about the spider. It's sort of at this point of time where it's like, you know, oh, you know, what's going to happen to happen to Tavra next and if they're going to make it out. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, we're up to chapter 11 now and um, Tay is all, all alive and whatnot, a little bit recovered or, you know, at least is able to talk. Um, and now of course mentions about it, you know, that you're still dehydrated, but we'll recover. Um, and everyone comes back in, you know, cause we had Ethri, Kylan and Staya in the laboratory and, uh, Skixa wants to discuss about, you know, what this spider is all about and, um, a great many other things as <laughs> Skixa, uh, describes. Yeah. And basically, yeah, I mean, you know, Skixa sort of wants to hear Staya's, you know, grievances for what he did to Tay. Um, you know, we're putting the, that truth dust, the Zandi, into the drink to try and get some truth about Ethri. And, you know, Ethri sort of then reveals uh, what the truth was and that basically that herself as well as all the Gelfling from Sifo were just going to leave Serenar and sail away on a large ship with Skeksa and pretty much abandon the home instead of being involved in the potential war of the Skeksis. And overall, like, you know, it's so, so like at the end, it's like, well, she does believe, well, we now know that she believes in the story about the pink petals and whatnot, but just for her at the time, like, um, it just seems too much of a risk, uh, to take and, you know, that she trusts, uh, Skeksa and all that. And so sort of Saya sort of agrees and sort of goes on her side. And yeah, and this sort of part where, you know, Skeksa is just trying to want to find out about this spider and. Um, you know, thinking that the spiders, you know, one of Skixo's spiders. And I think that, you know, Amory and um, they, they were sort of, I think Amory was pretty close to sort of revealing the truth because they, they don't want Skixa to know that it's Tavra, you know, that that's the the daughter of the Ormodra and um, all that kind of stuff. So they pretty much don't say anything um, at the end. But then, you know, in, at, at the end, you know, Skeksa sort of stops and just like, oh, you know, whatever. And, you know, gives Amory his sword back. And, and, you know, she pretty much said that one day, you know, she'll, she'll want to know about that, 
identity of the spider or, you know, know something about that someday. I liked her outburst about it, you know, talking about um, she's going to have the general and emperors and the emperor, you know, breathing down her neck now if if, they've already, if she's already reported it, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, and it sort of, sort of reveals, I guess, that it sort of now means that I think that Skeksar sort of, so has it had a hunch that Amory was set on to kill her, which, yeah, of course, does not bode well for the Grotting Gelfling. So, of course, at the end, you know, they, they all sort of leave her ship and, you know, they, they see Annika on the small boat as they're about to get on to um to head back to, to the shore to go back to Annika's boat, essentially. And, you know, they, they pretty much discuss what, what happened. and But Tavra, I mean... Tavra still believes that they'll be able to change Ethri's mind tomorrow. Um, well, you know, the next day and pretty much, you know, they're sort of just discussing, you know, whether she's under the influence of this Kexis or just genuine fear. And I think at this point in time, I, I kind of feel like it's more the genuine, uh, maybe a bit of both. I mean, an influence from the Skeksis of Skeksar, but also genuine fear about, you know, well, too risky to, Yeah. There are a lot of things that are kind of left open-ended that I'm wondering are going to be uh, explained. Like, Ethri seems like she's she's doing something that the Sifa normally wouldn't do, which is basically ignoring all the portents, ignoring all the tides and the winds and things, and is going to go on this journey north and trust that the Skeksis is going to keep them alive by, you know basically making sure that the waves don't crush their boats. But there's something that they never mention. What happened to the jewelry? Because Ty, I don't think that um, Staya, I don't think he actually took it. He never admitted to taking that. He admitted to poisoning her, but not, but not taking the jewelry. And they talk about, in earlier chapters that they were dealing with a thief and we never find out who the thief is. It makes you wonder if maybe that there's a little more here going home that we don't see, or perhaps it has something to do with the Skeksis. Yeah. I, I actually wanted to know more about Staya uh, and you know, what his role in the clan is because other than being that, kind of cool looking guy I you know don't see him as doing much you know why did he give the poison uh, quote unquote poison to Tay uh, is he looking you know to usurp the Madra's power I mean that, that's a pretty drastic step to take yeah like what why yeah like why exactly he wanted to know about this like yeah yeah like she's not just oh you know I, I gave her a little bit of a tiny touch of a truth serum you know, so I could maybe find out something. He really wanted to know, so he gave her that stuff. And that's, mm -hmm. that is not cool. <laughs> yeah. I just, the way he was like, and now you're calling me a common thief, I just don't think he took the jewelry. So some somebody else was clearly involved or found her when she was in this state and took her jewelry. So I don't know. It seems kind of... There's a lot of things like that, you know, and it was pretty drastic what he did, but at the in the end, it seems like he's going to just go along with it anyway, you know, because he follows the Madra out instead of staying to confront the Skeksis. 
I, I think that, you know, character motivation is fascinating. So you've got to wonder why people are doing what they're doing. And in his mm-hmm. case, I just kind of scratched my head and went, how does this fit? You know, if he's not a thief, you know, he doesn't need the jewelry, then what's going on in the background? You know, why is he doing what mm-hmm. he's doing? Yeah. But yeah, And hopefully, yeah, we'll hopefully know, hopefully we get something about, about that in, in future, um, you know, chap in, you know, the further chapters with, um, tides of the dark crystal um so pretty much yeah, sort of at the end that um you know that, that yeah at this point it's just hard, hard to work out whether this was an easy plan for Skeksar to sail them straight to the castle of the crystal or if she's genuine with her intentions to help them um and um i think tyra you know so apologizes to amri and um, he so sort of realizes his foolish mistakes and um, hides away in a corner, pretending to sleep. Um, yeah, when he, yeah, when she apologizes, I think she's actually apologizing for taking control of him, is what I got the impression of. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I just sort of thinking about that, I, I just, I don't know, for some reason, I just always thought that Tavra wasn't controlling his body. And now, now I kind of want to reread that chapter just to... Uh, uh, yeah, just to reread that little, those little moments here. So no, which is a really cool um, observation, uh, for sure. And um, yeah, I think that probably wrap. Well, that'll wrap up for um, this episode of the Gathering Songs. Um, I think it's probably a good time to sort of wrap up at that moment. And yeah, I mean, we still got a lot lot of chapters to sort of look forward to as we continue discussing tides of the dark crystal i just want to say um nancy thank you so much for being on the show again and um and how can listeners uh find out uh, about all your work and what you're up to oh uh, thanks again um well they can always check my facebook site which i'm a uh, writer nancy gray on that or my website nancygray.net or um i also have a blog nancygray.blogspot.com Excellent. And uh, of course, I'll put all those links in the show notes. Um, and Peter, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for being on the show again. And, and how can listeners find out um, about your work? Thanks for having me. And uh, they can just go easily to dwimsaga.com. That's D-W-I-I-M-Saga.com. And I update it monthly on the 13th. Excellent. All right. Um, so yeah, all listeners, thank you so much. And, um, yeah, stay tuned for the next episode of the gathering songs as we'll keep continuing discussing about tides of the dark crystal. You already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry. At last the crystal calls. It is time, time to return to the castle. The crystal calls. To the crystal So that's all the time that we have for this episode of Trial by Stone. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcasts at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Twitter at darkcrystalpod. We're also on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast. Um, if you enjoyed the show and think that others will love it too, uh, please write a review on iTunes or on Facebook as well. Um, it'll, I'll greatly appreciate that. And if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, hit the like button and subscribe. Thank you all so much. And come back next time for more Trial by Stone.